Thank you, Daniel. You're such a natural with this. Great. Thank you so much. All righty, guys. It is my joy to get to be here with you this morning. Um, I am just setting my little clock up here so I can see like how we're doing on time. And uh, Pastor Chris sends his greetings. Some of you have asked after him. He is away with family. He is on his way back. He'll be back with us next week. I know when he's away, you know, it's good for him to get some rest and time with family. But he always, his heart is always with us too. He sends his regards, and um, I'm sure you know he he misses us and will be back. He'll be back soon. Um, meanwhile, this week we are going to be. Continuing in our sermon series, it is my joy to get to be here with you guys. Would you pray with me as we begin? Jesus, thank you so much for just uh, this opportunity to gather and to be in your word together. Lord, we say we want all that you have for us today. Holy Spirit, come and have your way. We open our hearts. We open our minds to you. Thank you, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so we've been in the midst of a sermon series called Sankofa, Sankofa, and that phrase is interesting. It's a word that's actually taken from the language of a tribe in Ghana, and uh, what it refers to is symbolized often by an image that I will show here. Chris has described it in the past, and it's the image of a bird with its head bent backwards, and the idea is that we want to reach back to our past to gather everything that's good, that's beneficial from our origins, from our history, and carry that forward with that, with us, enable that to propel us forward well into our future. And what we've been doing with this sermon series is we've been considering the spiritual disciplines that have anchored, the people of faith have anchored Christians over the centuries, are talked about in scripture, and we've been going back and looking at them in order to ignite our passion, fuel us into activity, and uh, through that to be able to move forward well in our relationship with God. Right? And so the last few weeks, um, Pastor Chris has preached on both fasting and on Sabbath. Last week, our Justice and Youth Director Donald spoke powerfully on understanding and what we can learn from the history of the black church in the U.S., as well as from being able to look at scripture and understand some of its African context and certain passages. And it was powerful. I encourage you, if you have not uh, gotten to hear all the sermons in this series, go back and uh, listen to them online. You'll be really glad you did. Now today, we are going to be looking at uh, something that is so foundational, so uh, associated with Christianity, that even if you were not Christian, you would probably associate this with Christians. Okay, so let's suppose you were not Christian, but you were on Family Feud, right? And you went up, it was your turn to go up, and the host is like, we surveyed 100 random people and asked them, what's a spiritual thing that Christians should do? You'd be like, oh, they're supposed to read their Bibles. You know, they're like, ding, ding, ding. Yes, yes, that bears on the board, right? Everybody knows that. There's such uh, agreement, and it's well, especially even within the Christian church, that this is our foundational text, that it's important for us to spend time reading and studying scripture. And so you would think that would make our conversation this morning easy. You know? And in some ways it does. And at the same time, we recognize that for uh, a variety of things, we know that some things are good for us, but there can be a gap between what we desire and what we actually do, right? Like we could desire to exercise, making it to the gym in the middle of a busy week, you know, like that's another thing. And then there can be another gap between what we desire and what, what, and what, we, uh, what we do, like going to the gym, whatnot, and what we love, 
right? What we relish, what we couldn't live without. Uh, in scripture, in Psalm 19, the psalmist describes scripture this way. He describes it as more precious than gold, than much pure gold, and sweeter than honey. And these are such flowery metaphors that you would think he's describing like his beloved, right? They'd be appropriate on a Valentine's Day card. Right? You're sweeter than honey, you know? Or maybe even it would be appropriate if he were describing God this way. Right? His worship of the Lord, more precious than gold. But what he's actually doing is describing God's decrees, his commands, the word of God, scripture, with such you know, flowery language. And so our hope today is to look together at this topic in a way that would ignite and fuel our passion stoke the flame of our love for scripture. Because no matter where we're at, whether we're kind of brand new to scripture or longtime, you know, uh, readers of scripture, I think for all of us, a gap remains between how we would feel about like winning the Powerball and <laughs> like how we feel about reading scripture, right? Like precious as much pure gold that we would have that kind of a joy. So that's what we want to spend the bulk of our time doing today is looking at that. But before we dive into that, okay, uh, into looking at kind of what can sometimes dampen our love, what the Bible has to say about what we can do uh, to increase it, what the Bible is for, uh, before we dive into that, I want to just talk about one thing, okay, which you can think of it as kind of a prelude. Okay, so here's the prelude. Okay, the prelude is I want to just name that for many of us, we may be in a place where we value scripture. We truly believe that in its authority, that it has a lot to speak to us. We trust it. But we might not know why we have such strong convictions about scripture. Right? We, I, beyond that, it's what we learned in Sunday school as a kid. It's what all Christians around us seem to believe. Maybe we know even that scripture speaks highly of itself, which is something, but a little circular. You know, <laughs> you think about it, right? So... I want to uh, propose to you that it is well worth your while to spend some time to learn about your Bible, how it came together, how the canon was formed, how they handled questions of translation, you know, it's, it's historicity, all of that stuff. And toward that end, uh, I want to recommend to you, there are tons of articles and books out there. Uh, this is just one of the many. This one's called Why Trust the Bible. It's by Greg Gilbert. Look, it's so small. <laughs> and so... Right? It's one of those books where they kind of maybe made it a little smaller so it would have enough pages to be a book. You know? And I tell you this to encourage you that you can read it in one sitting and it's written for people like you and me. It's not for like university scholars. This book and other resources as well that we'll talk about today and far more are all on our website. If you go to resources and then click Bible study, you'll see links to PDFs and books on Amazon and all listed there. All right? And so... Um, I will confess something to you. All right, I'm your pastor, but um, I don't geek out on stuff like this. You know, it's just, it's not like the thing that like makes me most excited. I love hearing about your lives and what God's doing and praying. This, why did I do this then? Because I feel responsible to you. I am preaching. You know, <laughs> I should study. You know, <laughs> like have some resource to recommend, things like that, right? So I will tell you how much it surprised me, okay, when I read this book, how happy I got reading it, right? Like how it deeply encouraged me. So I, I am encouraging you, take some time out to uh, encourage, let your soul be encouraged. There is such great 
confidence we can have in scripture. It is beautiful. It's amazing how it was brought together. And, and I really think you'll enjoy and be deeply encouraged by learning about it and just having that foundation. All right. So uh, with that said, I want to say, you know, as we, of course, have then that confidence in scripture, Jesus himself is our model. And we see that he held scripture in the highest regard. So he said things like this, Matthew chapter 5. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. And Jesus corrected people with statements like these. Jesus replied, you are in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. Ooh, a little zinger there. Would prefer not to be on the receiving end of that comment with Jesus, right? It's good to, good to know our scripture. And as Christians, we here at Hope Astoria, together with the church broadly, believe that the Bible is what it claims to be, right? That what it says about itself is true. Here's what it says about itself in 2 Timothy uh, 3, 16 to 17. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. All right, so this is why we're so passionate about meditating on it, studying it, getting this in our rhythm of life. And at the same time, as we mentioned earlier, there can be a bit of a gap between where we desire to be and where we sometimes find ourselves. And that's how I think we can find ourselves in a, in a breadcrumbing relationship with scripture. Um, you guys know this. I was reading an article recently in the New York Times about uh, latest dating lingo. It's been a little while for me. I'm 14 years married. <laughs> so, but, but there's like, you know, as you text with someone, as you are engaged in online dating, right, um, there's this thing called breadcrumbing where someone puts out just enough of contact to make you think it could go somewhere, right? And then like, but they never actually make the time to go on a real date or to like really take the relationship somewhere serious. And I feel like that describes for some of us our relationship with the Bible, right? We're like, you're so beautiful. You're so fat, you're so wise. I really want to get to know you, but just, I'm really tired tonight. I, I wouldn't do you justice. You know, tonight, I'm really sleepy. Next week, though, we will grab coffee. And we will really get to, in fact, we'll set up something regular because I really want to get to know you. You're fascinating, right? But it's like kind of a lot of talk, enough to keep stringing along our Bibles, you know? <laughs> And we don't actually make it to real substance, right, in some cases. All right. So that describes some of us. Others of us, it's more like we're in, like, maybe a really long-term relationship that's gotten a little too stale. You know, we're like, you know, like the, you know, you've been married 20 years. You're like, uh, have you done the laundry? Yeah, okay, you took out the, okay, I'm going to bed now. Uh, we'll talk later. Yeah, and you haven't been on a date in forever because, like, what would there be to say? You kind of know every story already. You kind of feel it. You know, right? There's that kind of mentality, right? And so, like, so familiar, uh, too familiar, you know, <laughs> like, kind of feeling. And so we want to regain that spark of, like, the newly wedded. Oh, my gosh, you're so captivating. And we could totally go out for eight hours, and it wouldn't be enough. There's more to learn about you. You're so fascinating, right? That kind of newly wedded love, that pr sweeter than honey, more precious than pure gold, right? So we're, we're we're looking for that, and so, um, you know, we have to, to think about, like, as we, as we are engaging scriptures, we're looking to read it, okay, as we, as we do this, okay, we have to remember that when we do this, right, that is not just a physical act, okay, that I'm doing here balanced with the microphone right now, it is, it's, it's a spiritual act, that little thing, that's a spiritual act, so we should not be surprised 
to encounter some spiritual resistance to that act. It's almost like the enemy's got his thumb on the cover, like, no! You know, like, have you ever tried to read your Bible? You're suddenly like, I'm so hungry, I need a snack. You know, or wait, what am I doing tomorrow? It's that, that chore that I've been putting off for weeks. Right now, I need to do laundry. It hasn't mattered for three, but right, it's suddenly very urgent. You know, right? Like all these things come up. Why? Because the enemy knows how much life is in this for us. It's such a big win for him if he can just keep us from just even opening it distraction, whatever he can do, right? And if that doesn't work, what does he do? The Bible describes the enemy as a liar. The father of lies and all he does is lie. Right? So he's going to come up, be like, do you really want to do It's going to be so boring. You're not going to understand any of it. It's gonna, you're going to feel terrible afterwards, all the stuff you're not doing right. He's going to come and lie to you, whatever he can say, consciously or subconsciously. All right? Whether you're brand new to scripture or whether you've been reading it a long time, those things come up to whatever you can do to kind of wet blanket your idea of what's going to happen on this date. It's going to be the worst date ever. What's a waste of your time, right? So I just want to give you a moment. Think now, what tends to come up for you when you want to read your Bible, something that you start to feel or start to think? It might even not be totally conscious. What comes up for you? I think it's helpful to name it because so often it just goes without recognition. We just think it's true or it's us, you know, and, and it's helpful to actually name. No, actually, that's some spiritual opposition we're experiencing, and we can refute that lie, right? So today what I want to do is I want to name three really common lies that can come up, whether we're brand new to Scripture or have been with it for a long time, and some of what the Bible has to tell us about how, what is really true and how we can refute that and stoke our love of Scripture, get all that it has for us, all right? So the first lie that can come up is the lie that um, Scripture will be really intimidating, It'll be overwhelming and confusing. You won't be able to figure it out. You shouldn't have questions. Or if you do have questions, like, there's too many, you won't be able to understand, you know. And um, whether you're brand new to Scripture and you're like, it's overwhelming, where do I start? Or whether you've been a long time with Scripture, but when you get to that part of your reading plan that's in, like, the Minor Prophets, you're like, ah, it's a little tricky, I don't know. You know, <laughs> like, right? It comes up. There's this lie that comes up that you're not going to be able to get something good from it and understand it. And I want to tell you that is a bald-faced lie, Okay, because God clearly invites us to come to him in the place of our unknowing with all our questions, all right? And that's how we get passages like the one in Mark 4 where Jesus uh, is sharing a number of parables. Parables are stories that carry meaning. And he tells one about a farmer scattering seed. Some of the seed does well. Some of the seed doesn't do well. The disciples are listening, his closest followers. They're listening, and they have no idea what he's talking about. All right, so look, hey, you're in good company. If you have questions, just know, so did the disciples. You know, you're like, you're just like them, right? Good company, all right? And so what do the disciples do? They hang out, and later on, they get with Jesus when they have opportunity, and they tell him, like, hey, can you um, explain to us what you're talking about? We didn't understand. And Jesus is like, sure. But before he explains, he says this to them. He says in Mark chapter 4, verse 13, he says, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? Hint, hint, pay attention, right? And then he answers a question, no recrimination, no judgment, answers, and then he brings it back again. He says this, for whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. Right? So he's encouraging them that they are meant to understand, right? 
So what we see here is that Jesus is teaching his disciples at multiple levels at the same time. At one level, he is teaching them about this specific parable and what it means. At another level, he is teaching them, what do you do when you don't understand? What do you do with your questions? How do you grow in understanding? And so he asks them this rhetorical question, you don't understand this parable? How will you understand any parable? Pay attention. Think about it. The answer is he supplies it immediately, right? What do they do? They ask. It seems so obvious, you know? But just think of all the other things they could have done. They could have been too ashamed to ask their question. The Bible actually talks about times where they act like, yeah, <laughs> that's their reaction. They could have just been like, I don't know, maybe it's a mystery. Maybe we'll figure it out one day. You know, they could have just kept it moving. Oh, there's dinner to get and other stuff. You know, we'll you know, just forget about the question. There's so many other things they could have done and that we do with our questions other than simply asking them. Right? And we're encouraged that anything that's hidden is meant to be disclosed. So if you encounter something in scripture, you don't know what it means, know that you are meant to understand. It's not meant to stay a mystery forever that you can't comprehend. God wants to communicate with you. He gave his word so that you could get to know him and he could lead you, you could understand. All right, so we're all invited, as the disciples were, to ask. Okay, to ask. And what does asking look like for us? It might look like opening a commentary. That word I know can be a little intimidating. Look, I have a lot of props today. Look, this, what's a commentary? This, it's a book. Look, it's not scary. It's one book, all right? This book you can purchase, again, this is linked on our website as well. It's like 40 some bucks. It can be in your home this week, you know, from Amazon. Don't let the, you know, if, if cost is an issue, we would please email me. We'd love to help you get a commentary. It is very simple. Any chapter and verse you're reading, you just open it to that one. And you read like a little bit of text, like this much. And it can be so illuminating and helpful to help you understand context, answer some of the questions you might have. All right? Now, maybe paper is not up your alley. You can tell from what I brought today that I love paper. You know, I like things in hard copy. Maybe you're like my husband. He's totally online. You can, and free. Okay? So you can go to BibleHub.com. You can look up any scripture, any chapter, verse, okay? And it will give it to you in multiple English translations. It will give it to you in the original languages, the he Greek, the Hebrew, word for word broken down next to the English. You can hover over the word and it will tell you what that word means, the definition. It will tell you all the other places in the Bible that it's mentioned, which can be fascinating. It will tell you various commentaries, what they've said about that verse, more than one for free. Now, of course, read it with some discrimination, but you know, as you read it, you can get a taste of what other people who are thoughtful have thought and said about this verse, which can really help to answer questions. We live in an age of instant information. Technology has its good and bad, but this is one of the things that's good, guys. Like, we can literally ask anything and get an answer in a moment. We can, it's as easy as, think of how many times you pick up your phone, you're like, hey, Google, uh, how many Super Bowls has Kansas City won? Right? And like, you know right away, you know, how many stars are in the Milky Way? You know, it's as easy as that to get the answers to some of our questions about scripture. Okay, so please, do not be intimidated. Just ask your question, and what is, is uh, you know, concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. Okay, so that's one way asking can look. Another way asking can look is it can look like talking to other people, right? Talk with other Christian friends, talk with your small group, talk with your small group leaders. If you have any questions, Pastor Chris and I are always happy to hear from you, process with you as well. We would love to do that. And... Anyone who teaches on Bible study and the importance of Bible study is going to tell you that it is hugely beneficial and important to study scripture with other people. The more diverse, the better. 
All right, the more diverse the better. Why? Because we all come with our own histories, our own lenses, our own biases. And so to really understand scripture in all its fullness, we will be helped so much in that. We'll avoid some of our blind spots by being with other people who are not like us, which is why it's so great to join small group and to talk with others. I think last week's sermon is such a great example. If you didn't get to hear Donald's really powerful sermon last week, please listen to it. There are things that are just so plain as day in scripture that we sometimes just don't hone in on and pay attention to as much because of our particular background, right? And so it's so helpful to talk with others. So asking can look like commentaries. Asking can look like talking with others. Asking can also look like prayer, wrestling in prayer. How often do you read scripture and something kind of comes up in you a bit where you're like, it says here that there's healing, but I haven't seen someone actually get healed. You know, like what's up with that? Or it says here that the harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. But in my experience, I know Christians, but I don't know a lot of people asking about Jesus. Like, is this really true? You know, what does this mean? What does this look like? How, how does this lived out? Is this for today? Or I know this says to forgive, but I'm feeling some resistance in my heart around doing that in this situation. Right? We have questions that come up that have to do with how we're really going to live this out, what this means, what we're seeing. I'll give an example. I have a relative who I love, my, uh, my, my uncle. He loves Jesus, longtime follower of Jesus. He shared with me a story of when he was um, like in his early 20s. And uh, he's a very analytical guy. He's an engineer. He's reading scripture. And he's reading the part where it talks about finances and tithing and trusting God. So he's like, huh, okay, God. So he's praying. He's like, God, it says here, that if I give you the first 10% of my income, oh, tithing is the practice of giving the first 10% of your income to God and then trusting him with the rest, right? So he's like reading about that. He's like, okay, it says here that if I trust you and if I give to you first, that you will provide. However, I'm looking at my finances. If I give you 10%, I will not have the money to cover this project that's important to me. It's just math. You know, like it's very obvious, right? Very cut and dry. So he's like, what do I make of that then? So he prayed about it. He wrestled with it for a while. Eventually, he decided, okay, I'll try it out. Okay, I'll try it out. So he gave his, his money to God. He, he tithed. And then, lo and behold, shortly after, he got a phone call from a friend. Hey, um, I have all this scrap material. Do you want it? It was exactly what he needed to cover his project. It was like a construction-type project. He was like, oh, okay. Right? <laughs> God, you are God. Your word is true. Like, maybe I should approach things a little more humbly, you know, as what he was telling me in the story, right? So he's, you know, think about what that happened because he actually asked his question and wrestled with God. The growth that came in his confidence in God's re reality, his trustworthiness, that his word is true and trustworthy, his own ability to trust God with his finances, to be generous. So much happened in his soul because he asked the question. Would that have happened if he just kept it moving? Like, he was like, huh? I don't know about that and just forgot about it or maybe he's like I don't know if that applies today or I don't you know like probably not right it's in asking the question wrestling with it that growth comes if you think about it questions are the perfect fodder for our growth right that's where we grow that's actually where God wants to meet and engage us it's not where we already think we have mastery, we got it figured out, we already know everything, we're doing good. That's not the place, right? But in the place where we come humbly, where we say, I don't know, I don't, I don't get this part. How does this work? Or I'm not sure how I feel. That's where we can really engage and grow. And so when you come to scripture and you think you're going to have questions, half the battle's already won. 
because you're coming with the right posture, with humility, with an open heart and mind. And so that's perfect. And we see that God invites us to come to him with our questions, and he encourages us that we are meant to understand, right? He wants to meet and grow us. He wants to answer our questions. So today, uh, we're going to be covering a lot of ground. So I wanted to provide a little acronym to help us remember what we talk about, make it a little more likely that as we leave today, we might retain some of what we talked about. So my acronym for today is appropriate to where we find ourselves in Queens. Okay, so we're, the acronym is Queens, Q-U-E-E-N-S, right? And so the first part of it today, okay, Q-U, right? You guys are like, wow, wow, you guys, thanks for that encouraging. Wow. I'm glad that you're impressed with my spelling abilities. Yes. Okay. <laughs> okay. So that first bit, okay, QU, questions lead to understanding. All right. So believe that your questions will lead to understanding. Believe that you're meant to ask them, to gain understanding. Believe that God will meet you as you ask and give you understanding. Questions lead to understanding. All right. Questions lead to understanding. All right. Second thing, sometimes that happens. Maybe we're like, okay, okay, yeah, there's a way to get my questions answered. But then the, the enemy comes and lies and is like, but it's going to be so boring. Like, what do cubits of the measurement of the temple and old, 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 old genealogies have anything to do with your life today? The bills you have to pay, the conflict you have with your boss, you know? Right? So he comes, or, or maybe he comes and he's like, you're going to feel so burdened after. You're going to feel like, oh, you're, you're a bad person. You know, he comes and he lies. Those are lies. Okay? They're bald-faced lies. Here is what scripture says about itself. I am going to read to you an epic passage of scripture from Hebrews chapter 11 and 12. It is long, all right? It is long. So we're going to buckle in. We're going to read together. But I will say, I think um, we don't maybe get to hear scripture read as much as might be even beneficial to us. So it's kind of nice, actually, to get to read a longer passage together. All right, so here is what scripture says. Hebrews chapter 11, beginning with verse 32. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, and Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms and ministered justice and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith. Yet none of them received what had been promised, since God had planned something better for us, that only together with us would they be made perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. How many of you would say, I could use something that would help me 
in the midst of everything I deal with, my, my kids are screaming, my boss is difficult, I'm trying to pay rent, whatever I'm doing, my commute is hard, you know, to, I could use something to help me not grow weary and lose heart, yeah? And we're all looking for that. We're all, we're looking for it so many places and the Bible is telling us, look for it here. It's in me, right? How did this author of Hebrews know all of these stories? Because they were in scripture. <laughs> They're in the Old Testament. They're in the Bibles that we have to this day. We can read about it, learn about it. And not only that, but the Bible is unique in that what we're reading are not fictional characters. They're not just biographies of people dead and gone. It tells us that as we're reading about Moses and David and Daniel, they are literally alive and cheering us on. Like, yes, learn from my mistakes. Learn from the things I did well. Keep on running that race as hard as you can. It's worth it. Jesus himself is alive in the room with us as we're reading our Bibles, encouraging us to persevere in this race. Listen to what it says in Romans chapter 15, verse 4. It says, For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. Did you know that even the books of Leviticus and all those, you know, measurements of the temple and genealogies, they were all written. It says everything written in the past, right? It was all written to encourage us to give us hope that we would be able to persevere and not grow weary and not lose heart, right? I think all of us wanna be able to get to the end of our lives, look back and say, I gave it my all. I left it all out on the field, no regrets, right? And the Bible is telling us, I'm the fuel to enable you to do that. You stand the best shot of that with me, encouraging you. All right, so back to our acronym, right, for today, the EE. Okay, encouragement leads to endurance. Scripture is here to encourage us and teach us, give us hope, to enable us to endure, all right? So our questions will lead to understanding, and the Bible is here to encourage us, to, which leads to endurance, okay? To enable us to endure. All right, and then finally, okay, the uh, last kind of lie that I want to address that the enemy can kind of come up for some of us is he can kind of come whisper to us, but it's so familiar. You already know what it has to say. You know, right? Like, even for those of us who might be newer to scriptures, like, how many times can you read the same Christmas story and expect it's going to say something new? You know, do something new. Or the Easter story, Psalm 23, whatever it might be, right? And, you know, we have to think about how we're trained to approach books, okay? So you think about how we read any other text, and uh, especially like picture nonfiction. Okay, so we pick up a nonfiction book, we read it. What are we doing? We're trying to understand what the author has to say, comprehend it. Once we do that, we're kind of judging it. Like, okay, does it make sense? Do I agree? Okay, these points seem true. Maybe we want to hang on to those. Those are well supported. These other ones, I don't know. You know, we get to the end of the book. Like, okay, we're done. We're not going to read it every day for the rest of our lives, right? <laughs> Some books we are take more seriously. We're like, maybe we're a student. And we really study our textbook so we can pass our test. Or if you are in a profession where uh, you need to like pass the bar, you know, or pass the boards as a doctor. I was chatting recently with um, one of our small group leaders, David, who I called about first service. He's actually on AV. He's an engineer and he studied for a year for his professional licensing exam, which he passed. Yay! <laughs> so yay, yes, woo, woo! Yay, David, and thank you for doing AV, yes! <laughs> so, so, 
suppose that we study hard these textbooks. Now, let's suppose we pour our heart and soul into it. We, our goal is to master the material, right? And really get it in us. And once, let's suppose we take our exam and we ace it. We got 110%. We find it easy. When we're done with our exam, what do we do with our textbook? Right? We put it on the shelf. We're like, okay, phew, we're set. Thank goodness, we've mastered this material. But you know, we'll keep it for reference. Maybe if there's something that we need to look into, brush up our memory in a few years, or something obscure, we want to double check, we pull it down. Right? This is our experience with texts, okay? So it's understandable if that's what we would bring to our Bibles. We read it, we're like, I don't know, what more is there to do? We understand it, you know? <laughs> like, so now what, you know? Why am I reading this over and over again, you know? <laughs> and so, right? So we could be forgiven if that's kind of how we approach it. But here's the thing, the Bible is not like any other book we will ever read for so many reasons. But one of them is it claims to be alive, all right? It claims to be alive. And when we approach scripture, we do not approach scripture to master it. We approach scripture to allow it to master us, all right? So again, I'm going to say it again. We do not approach scripture to master it. We approach scripture to allow it to master us. Something that will never end. Till the day we die, we will not be perfected in our faith and, and exactly like Christ. We will still be growing. And because of that, you can really, you can take any one little verse, one sentence. You could read it every day for the rest of your life. The same verse. New things will keep coming out at you. The Holy Spirit will bring it to life. There'll be more application. There'll be more depth of, of, of relationship with God that will come out from that one verse. Let me give you an example, all right? Psalm 23, verse 1, very simple verse. You might learn it as a kid. I memorized it in the King James. My church was very King James when I was a kid. So, so uh, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Okay? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You learn it as a kid. You're like, cool, God's a shepherd. He's, he's there for me, right? Maybe you get a little older. You're in your 20s. You're about to like graduate college, try to get your first job. You're like, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He has got me. He's going to launch me in my career. He's got my back, right? Then maybe you get your job, and then you get laid off. You're like, okay, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He's going to see me through. This is hard, but I'm going to endure through. He's going to provide. And then maybe you hit a point. You, you have a catastrophic loss. Some of us, this comes later in life. Some of us, it comes really early in life, right? And um, maybe it's the loss of a child or of your own health or something that's so deeply broken, you know it is going to leave its imprint on your heart, right? And you come back to this verse, you realize it is not talking so much about God as inviting surrender, right? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Even in this, he is Lord. I trust him. And there are always more depths that scripture will bring us to as the Holy Spirit brings it to life. Right? As the Holy Spirit brings it to life. Listen to what it says in Hebrews uh, chapter 4, verse 12. It says, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Right? So far from us judging or mastering it, it masters us. The Lord seeks to speak into our lives, to shape and form us, to become more like Jesus. It's alive. And because of that, it's never the same. 
right? We can, we read it and it's never the same. It's never just same old, same old. A lot of times, I mean, I, as I was saying, we can read the same verse and it could uh, be having new things that it's speaking to us every day. But a lot of times as we go through, let's say a Bible reading plan or thing, it might be like year over year that we're coming back to the Christmas story or coming back to certain passages. And we are not in the same place every time we encounter that scripture. There's new things going on in us, in our lives. There's new maturity that God is developing. And so the Holy Spirit is at work. Scripture is alive and active. And it's seeking to penetrate our hearts. If you read commentary on that Hebrews verse, it's not, um, the author's not trying to be anatomical with us. He's trying to say that scripture is able to penetrate every level of our being at the deepest levels. All right? And so let's come back to our acronym, Queens, right? NS. It's never the same. It's never the same. Every time we approach it, it is never the same. Every time we approach it, we will never leave it the same. We are not meant to leave it the same. It will transform us if we allow it, if we come humbly. If we don't just think, oh, I already know what it has to say, you know, but if we come and sit, it will speak, it will master us, it will change us, it will make us more like Christ. All right, I want to invite uh, the worship team to, uh, to come up as we wrap up today. I want to leave us with one last thought, all right? So um, here, is the, here is the thought. Uh, Jesus describes himself as the word of God, the word of God, all right? And um, that word, word, in the Greek is logos, okay? And it's the same word that he uses to describe um, both uh, himself and also scripture. It's used to describe scripture, all right? So logos, um, it refers to scripture, the, the revelation of God in the written word. It refers to Jesus, who embodiment of scripture in, in all perfection of carrying out the commandments of God. And Jesus is the living, breathing embodiment of revelation of God, right, to us. So scripture reveals God to us. Jesus reveals God to us. Jesus is called Logos, the word of God. So as we, who are we then? We are Christians. We're seeking to be little Christs. If we're seeking to be little Christ, just like Christ, that means we're seeking to be little Logos, Right? We're seeking to be little word of God. We're seeking to, like Jesus, embody fully all that is in the word of God. And that's why we want to meditate on it, love it, relish it, be with it. And so as we come to scripture, we remember, come with your questions. Don't hesitate to ask. God wants to bring understanding and to shape and form you. Expect encouragement as you sit with it over time that will enable you to endure, to not grow weary or lose heart. And every time you come to it, know that it will not be the same. And you will not leave it the same every single time you encounter it. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you so much for the gift of your word. Thank you, Lord, that we are so blessed that we could hold your word in our hands. We could have multiple copies of it in our pocket, Lord. Uh, uh, Lord Jesus, that we can have it in our language. Thank you for the gift of your word. Thank you for loving us so much. You could have been silent. You could have been distant, but you weren't any of those things. You came and revealed yourself to us, made yourself known, and gave us your word so that we could know you, be restored in relationship to you. Thank you for the gift, Lord Jesus, you've given us. Lord, we want all that you have for us. We want you to indeed master us, shape and form us increasingly 
into your image to be like Christ, who was himself the perfect, the perfection, the perfect embodiment of your word. We want to be shaped and formed to be like Christ, to be like that, Lord. Have your way in us. Thank you, Lord. We worship you. We love you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We want to invite you uh, to join with us in worship. If there is anything at all that you would like prayer for, the prayer team is available in the back on my right, your left, and they'd love to pray for you for anything at all that might be on your hearts today, as well as those specific words that were mentioned earlier. If any resonated even a bit, really go back. I think God's like kind of got your number. Would love to minister to you. Would you stand with us as we now join in worship?